0: Something else really pertinent to the argument is that there can be no illegal drugs. That's it's a complete misnomer. It's a sleight of hand that, that distracts people from what's actually being controlled, and that's us. What's being controlled is humans. It might be called the Controlled Humans Act, with respect to drugs. Absolute arbitrary power exists nowhere in a republic, not even in the largest majority. And that is a case of absolute arbitrary power cannot make me guilty by statute for actions which are intrinsically innocent.
1: You're listening to Narcotica, a podcast giving you the straight dope about drugs and the people who use them. Taking drugs is kind of like magic, isn't it? Stay with me for a second. How is it possible that taking small doses of a chemical, sometimes microscopic levels in the case of LSD, for example, how is it possible these molecules can have such profound effects on our brains, our central nervous system, our personality, our very consciousness? One moment you're sober, you're in the default mode of your thinking, of being aware, and then you introduce a white powder or some kind of strange plant into your digestive system. The next moment, you're flying through hyperspace. And when you crash land, you come out with an immensely different idea of who you are and what you are, with a new perspective on your relationship to life and the universe you inhabit. And all of that is possible just by taking a drug? What in the hell? Is this witchcraft or some kind of supernatural, practical joke? Well, no, of course not. I mean, probably not. I mean, who knows? None of this is the point. It's very illegal to do this in most places on Earth, unless it's a certain socially acceptable type of drug like caffeine, alcohol, or tobacco. Maybe it seems like an obvious question, but why is any of this illegal in the first place? Don't you, as a human being, have some bodily autonomy? And Doesn't that extend to alterations in the mind as well? Forget how to change your mind, as Michael Pollan puts it, what about the fundamental right to change your mind? I'm Troy Farah, and you're listening to Narcotica. Today, we're going to be talking about cognitive liberty, the freedom of thought, and how that relates to prohibiting some drugs and not others. Our guest today is Casey William Hardison, a giant in the underground chemistry scene who has rubbed shoulders with many in obscure chemistry such as Sasha Shulgin and Daryl Lamar and he was featured on Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia in the episode The Lazy Lizard School of Hedonism. In the past, Casey operated several infamous drug labs, producing things like MDMA, DMT, LSD, and 2CB. That's all behind him, but unrelated to that, Casey has had a bit of legal trouble lately, which we'll discuss more, but his central argument in court is quite unique. But before we get to that, we'd like to mention that this episode is being produced in collaboration with Filter Magazine, There's an article that I wrote on filtermag.org, which you can read later if you feel compelled. It covers more about Casey's backstory and his previous attempt to fight for his liberty in the UK by arguing for the fundamental right to chemically alter one's mind. So it's not just a rehash of this conversation. We wanted both things to be their own individual pieces. We'd also like to remind folks that Narcotica is an ad-free program, and we're trying to keep it that way. We keep this ship running via Patreon, which we encourage you to join if you can at patreon.org slash narcotica. We'll mail you some stickers or give you a shout out on the show if you request. If you can't help out that way, that's fine. Just help spread the word. Give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend about us. Share us. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook. And that's everything. Pretty short and painless. Now back to Narcotica. Our conversation with Casey does contain some legalese, but we promise it's interesting. Since this episode was recorded on January 22nd, his case is currently being brought before the state Supreme Court. We'll see if they decide to take it up, but regardless, this argument is very unique, and I would argue important. Casey is arguing that the Controlled Substances Act, that is, the 70s-era law that makes drugs like cannabis and magic mushrooms highly illegal, is completely unconstitutional and violates his right to cognitive liberty. It's a juicy defense, and while it may seem extremely unlikely, it could help unravel the entire war on drugs. Casey, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate being here.
1: Also with us today are narcotica co-hosts, Zachary Siegel and Christopher Morath. How are you all doing?
0: Um, hey guys. Hey
2: everybody. Doing, doing all right. Casey, thanks for, for coming on the show. I've, I've seen you out in the media world uh, of drugs before. And yeah, I think what you're doing with this case is really, really interesting. And what kind of immediately jumps out at me about it is that something like 90% of all convictions are the result of plea deals. It's a really messed up legal system. People feel like they have no way of winning against the government. And so they roll over, they take the plea and they do their time. And always hanging over this is the fact that if a case does go to trial the penalty will be much more severe than if someone takes a plea that's sort of how it all works so props to you for for not lying down and, and taking it and, and for fighting back um so i think maybe to start can you can you sort of talk to us about your case that's currently worming through our system and just kind of the basics like what what were you charged with and and what happens if you do get convicted
0: yeah absolutely uh so there are, this cases in the state of Wyoming. Uh, in that jurisdiction, it is not lawful uh, to commerce in uh, controlled substances, in particular cannabis. This, this case involves cannabis, or as they say in the legislation, marijuana, spelled with an H, uh, even though that's a racist term, deriving its basis from the uh, marijuana assassins of youth, of old, where they were convinced that the Mexican marijuana dealers were a threat to society. Uh, and in Wyoming, it is true that it is not lawful at this point in time to consume, supply, possess, commerce, or any manufacturer of cannabinoids. And um, the case involves me coming into the, me being in the jurisdiction and being uh, in some way entrapped to uh, sell to an undercover officer. as introduced by someone who uh, got in trouble with the law herself. Uh, who was a friend and, you know, had a decent reputation in town. And I trusted her. Uh, she got in trouble. Uh, she introduced me to a, an informant uh, or not just an informant, a special agent. She became an informant. And the case involves uh, delivery of cannabis uh, to the tune to the tune of uh, maybe six pounds. And uh, the charges are the th- uh, three separate delivery events. Um, and they charged me with uh, two counts of aggravated assault, claiming that I had driven my vehicle at police officers in order to evade uh, my arrest on August 6th, 2018. Uh, that's patently absurd, uh, and they have dropped those charges about aggravated assault. Uh, no video evidence, even though the cops are supposed to be wearing video cameras on their body, and the cars that they alleged were blocking me in uh, apparently didn't have video on them either, even though they are mandated by law to have video. The way was absolutely clear for me to leave. I thought I was being uh, uh, robbed, really, when these uh, these gentlemen were running at the side of my vehicle. Uh, They were never in front. Anyway, so that was the aggravated... They do this often, which they stack charges to uh, encourage plea dealing. Uh, And you are absolutely correct that uh, in a jurisdiction that you drag them through court and have all the witnesses show up, they are going to give you heavier penalties. And so plea deals occur. Indeed, in the middle of my constitutional argument... Which the judge is still not, the, the district court judge here has still not actually issued his uh, written ruling on why he wasn't going to allow my constitutional arguments at the district court level, and was content with them moving on to the Wyoming Supreme Court. Uh, I, I made a deal, which is uh, to two of the delivery charges, and uh, with a sentence of two to four years and the ability to argue for probation. And uh, it looks like that's what's really going to occur on that particular part of it. The constitutional arguments are still running. The state of the play is that the Wyoming Controlled Substances Act is unconstitutional for two very clear reasons. The first is that the Constitution of the state of Wyoming holds that all all general laws are to be of uniform application, and they are to handle one subject, which is controlled drugs. Uh, and in the power to control under the Wyoming Controlled Substances Act, which is substantially similar to the Federal Controlled Substances Act. And the power to control, if the attorney general, who has now been named the commissioner for the purposes of the act, finds that a substance has a potential for misuse or a potential for abuse, that they are to issue a rule controlling the drug. And uh, that's how controlled drugs get made under the Wyoming Controlled Substances Act. And Shortly thereafter, in that little section on control, it has a little uh, get out clause. This section doesn't apply to alcohol and tobacco products. That's very interesting because that immediately violates the principle of equal treatment, equal protection, and uniform laws that extends way back in this country's jurisprudence and even into the jurisprudence of uh, England.
2: So just to get in the way here, and and sorry to interrupt, but that, that point about alcohol and tobacco being carve outs of the CSA, like, this is something that a lot of us point out as absurd all the time, like we regulate these two dangerous substances and legally sell them. And I guess I, it's unique to to see that show up in, in a legal argument, right? Like, I, I rarely see that actually get, you know, any, any kind of legal play as it were. And and so, yeah, like that little carve out for alcohol and tobacco. I mean, it's something that we all kind of say all the time that like, look, look what we did with these two substances that are, that kill a lot of people. Like I can go to to Walgreens and buy enough alcohol to kill myself with right now. But you know, I don't do that because I don't want to do that. And like, what's, you know, so special about alcohol that you can do that with, but you can't do that with other drugs and some drugs, it's almost impossible to do that. with. I cannot smoke enough cannabis to, to, to kill myself with it. Like it's just, that's not the way the drug works. So just, just pointing out there how, um, that, that little bit about tobacco and alcohol is just so important.
0: That brings me to the second point of the reason why it's blatantly unconstitutional is it's an arbitrary carve out to use that phrase. Uh, It's as if they say, you know, you pour the M&Ms, you pour the drugs in at top. It fits to the the definition of drugs in the Controlled Substances Act, which are substances that alter the structure or function of man or animal. And so alcohol and tobacco survive that definition. And then you get to the section on control and it's got this nine point criteria that's logical, scientific, reasonable by which you would actually evaluate each drug with the potential for abuse. And then if that drug is found with the potential for abuse, the rule, the, the commissioner is ordered to control it. And then alcohol and tobacco obviously survive those definitions as well. And those rules shortly thereafter, like, I mean, just a couple sections down, uh, you see the carve out for alcohol and tobacco without reason, without justification, without a rational connection to the purpose or the subject of the legislation. That makes it irrational. That makes it arbitrary. And uh, another rule in the state of Wyoming in the Constitution is absolute arbitrary power exists nowhere in a republic, not even in the largest majority. And that is a case of absolute arbitrary power. There's a really interesting concept embedded in the United States jurisprudence as well as the state of Wyoming, uh, which is that you can't take a class of property in this case uh, divide that class in two, and then apply different rules for the regulation of each. That is what they call, that is just on its face class legislation, which is forbidden, not only under the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution, but under the Constitution for the state of Wyoming as well. Now, what's really interesting about this argument is that when I uh, began to develop it 16 years ago in the United Kingdom, uh, I didn't realize that there was going to, there in the United Kingdom. There was no exclusive clause saying alcohol and tobacco aren't to be included. They just didn't include it, and they didn't talk about it, and they didn't justify excluding it, except in one paragraph that I found in some Hansard reports, which is the reports for the, for Parliament in the United Kingdom about you know why can I why can you drink alcohol but I can't smoke weed uh, was the concept this kid was bringing in 1970 when they were enacting the Misuse of Drugs Act 1971 in the United Kingdom. There, Parliament's sovereign, and there was no rules saying that – there was no black letters saying that alcohol and tobacco were explicitly excluded. And when I came back to the United States after my experience there in the United Kingdom with that argument, which was a cognitive liberty argument as well, and I will get around to that, but the, uh, I came here and I was reading the section on control in the Wyoming Control Substances Act, and I noticed this explicit carve-out for alcohol and tobacco. And then when I started digging through the jurisprudence, I actually found a case where such explicit exclusions was absolutely thrown out as an overruled, declared unconstitutional with regards to other types of legislation and other regulation of people and property. And so the argument came together in that moment. I'm like, I have actually black letters, not just an arbitrary argument. Well, why can you have alcohol and tobacco, but I can't have X, Y or Z or LSD? This is an explicit carve out for alcohol and tobacco, which then makes the entire regulatory structure operate in an arbitrary, non-uniform fashion. And when you have arbitrary, non-uniform laws, it by definition violates equal protection and due process rights. That is like, I mean, I actually have a really nice quote here that I bring in like you about now. Uh, and the concept of the term due process of law is broad. The courts in this country grope up for and keep, finally came to recognize the close relationship between equality before the law and due process of law, and that arbitrary, unwarranted, and special acts not uniform in their operation were not consistent therewith. That's uh, actually a Wyoming case called Pyrie v. Camps from 1951. And, you know, I can actually encompass this uh, in the Wyoming Supreme Court jurisprudence. I can actually encompass this entire argument in five very small pieces of legislation. And that's before getting to the concept of freedom of thought, because without free thought, free speech is impossible. And if I can't have access to the mind states that might give rise to a petition for a redress of grievance, matter of fact, I put this argument together one day many years ago under the influence of cannabis and LSD, and a light bulb. Cognitive <laughs> liberty is really impor- an important thing. Without the ability, without free thought, free speech is impossible.
1: Yeah.
2: And, and also, you're, you're not a lawyer, right? Like you're a chemist, like you're representing yourself in, in all this, right?
0: As far as the constitutional arguments, yes, uh, uh, I am representing myself. I mean, I have other lawyers that uh, have subscribed to it and actually have put their name to the argument now uh, that are well known in this, the state of Wyoming. And while I'm not a lawyer, I've studied law for well over seven years solid. And then I dip back in from time to time. I've read many constitutional law texts. Uh, I had plenty of time on my bunk in the United Kingdom while I was serving a 9.27 year sentence for the manufacture of LSD, 2CB, DMT, et cetera, uh, for which I'm fairly well known around the world as a result of the cognitive liberty argument that I created there. And the concept that I created there that actually I think starts at the beginning of all of this is that you cannot make me guilty by statute for actions which are intrinsically innocent. And then from there, it's a, you know, thoughts are free and subject to no rule. And then the question becomes, do I have a right to alter my own mental functioning and have freedom from others attempting to alter my own mental functioning? So it's a freedom from freedom to issue. And then it's uh, another concept about equal protection, which is uh, I should have the rights to use drugs that are equally or less harmful than alcohol and tobacco. And I should also be distinguished from people causing harm from their drug misuse uh, you know if i'm not causing harm uh and that harm is very interesting because if i'm causing harm there's already a law that exists for that there's offenses against persons offenses against property but we're now dealing with a realm of legislation which is offenses against the peace and dignity of the state of wyoming or you know offenses against the peace and dignity of the united states of america now i think it's absolutely offensive to the peace and dignity of the united states of america and every citizen of the united states of america and especially to my children have to grow up inside a war on some people who use some drugs this is not a war on drugs this is a war on people and a war on people is a war no one can win
3: i just uh, yeah i mean i wanted to point out that that certainly in the U S the government tried very hard to include alcohol in this. And I wonder if they incorporate the fact that they failed miserably as a reason why it's arbitrarily Mm -hmm. excluded here. And I I guess I'd have a question about mood altering substances. Is it, is it fair to call uh, tobacco a mood altering substance? Absolutely, um, absolutely. And as as for the harm argument, yeah. I mean the illegality of drugs um, and the creation of black markets that extend into, you know, uh, you know, international uh, border wars and stuff certainly causes more harm than drugs
0: themselves, and I think that's becoming clearer by the day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, black markets matter, and the mood altering is not really the the definition uh, that we're working with inside the Controlled Substances Act. What we're really working with is does it alter the structure or function of man or animal? That's the definition. So we want to stick with the legal definitions, not whether it's mood altering or mind altering. Is it does it affect the structure or function of man or animal? Absolutely does. There's no reason in the world to consume alcohol or tobacco without the intent of it actually altering your structure or function.
1: Same with caffeine.
0: Yeah, it's caffeine. I'm like well caffeinated. As matter of fact, I'm not only well caffeinated, I'm sober except for fizzy water and <clears throat> caffeine because I'm, I'm subject right now to drug testing on a random basis as a result of uh, my conditions of the bail at the moment. And I've got a, you know, a monitor, a GPS monitor on my ankle for the first time. In my life i'm like pinned down
2: yeah supervision we always talk about people behind bars but there's so there's millions of people who are being closely monitored and surveilled whose freedoms are restricted as well and supervision is a whole other beast in itself one, one thing i had a question about is, is is wyoming like i think of wyoming as a very like don't tread on me kind of state you know like, libertarian-wise.
0: It's the equality state, actually. That's their motto, and has been since 1889. So as far as the don't tread on me, they gave women uh, the right to vote here first.
2: Do you think that makes any kind of difference in your case here?
0: Absolutely. There is explicit, textual, black letters written, carved, engraved in the Wyoming Constitution that says... All general laws shall be of uniform operation and absolute arbitrary power over the lives of free men exist nowhere in a republic, not even in the largest majority. And those two provisions have uh, equality at their heart and due process, non-arbitrariness at their heart. And that actually is a, 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 an enormous boon to my argument that there is explicit textual reference in the constitution of the state of Wyoming for that. And that those things have been secured that liberty, don't tread on me style liberty, has been secured throughout the history of the state of Wyoming. It's hardcore libertarian here. It's hardcore libertarian. And I totally respect that. You know, I want, free, I, want the, I want freedom from government interference in my life, and I want freedom to enjoy that which I wish to enjoy, provided I do no harm to others, for there are already laws for harm to others or harm to property. I want to bring something in that Christopher was saying a minute ago. Uh, There are, uh, I don't know exactly which they are, but the five types of crime, uh, you know, proxy war, corruption of government at all levels that are really important that prohibition itself causes. These are the same crimes that were created by alcohol prohibition, which failed uh, spectacularly. This prohibition will fail spectacularly. And I hope to be right at the heart of that failure, causing that failure. There is no way that the legislation can stand on the face of the argument at hand. There have been many laws in the history of these United States uh, that have been struck down for their non-general application and their arbitrary application. Uh, This has both. Uh, And that's before you get into the conversations, that's before you get into the conversation of cognitive liberty and the right to think for myself, alter my own mental functioning as I see fit, provided I have no others.
1: Casey, when we first spoke, you called me from a jail cell uh, in Wyoming a couple months ago in October, and you said that this case hasn't been argued before in the U.S. court. How well do you think it's going to do? I mean, so far, this judge has refused to issue statement on it. I think it was due, if you, I remember your email correctly, December 15th.
0: He promised an order on December 15th and has not delivered, and that is a very rare occasion where a judge does not deliver on a promise they've given and their integrity is on the line. That is very, very rare that that occurs. I think they're working it out uh, The attorney general was called in on this case. Not only do I have two public defenders assisting me on the case, I also have the head public defender giving permission for the two public defenders to assist on this case. Uh, On the uh, 17th of November, my public defender was ordered to communicate with the attorney general because this is a case that is really going to impact the law of the state of Wyoming. And if it succeeds here, it will succeed in the federal jurisdiction.
1: Yeah. So I guess my question is, you know, why hasn't anybody made this argument before? I mean, maybe you don't know the answer to that.
0: I I have one, I I mean, I'm going to make shit up, which is very simple. Uh, Nobody sat (laughs) on their bunk committed to reading the controlled substances act uh, such that they would read that fine print. Because if you're reading a lot, you know, it's like you go to – in Wyoming, it's quite interesting. When you get arrested, they actually hand you your charges on, you know, like affidavit, charge sheet, information. And they also hand you printouts from LexisNexis, the law book of the section that you violated. Well, they don't give you the whole act. They just give you the section you violated. And I'm like, I need the whole act. Um, And I was able to get a copy of the whole act. And when I was reading the section on control, because I'd already practiced in the United Kingdom this argument, I was already building this uh the, the end result of building the argument after suing uh Teresa May who had become who was the home secretary at the time and also suing Dr. David Nutt who is well known for the nut matrix uh what I call the nut matrix the nine point matrix of harm where he looks compares uh 20 different drugs in the Lancet Journal. He was the head of the Advisory Council on Misuse of Drugs and I was like, well Secretary of State, uh Home Secretary, will you please instruct the advisor the, the chairman of the Advisory Council on Misuse of Drugs to put alcohol and tobacco in the Misuse of Drugs Act. And if you won't, why not? And then I said, uh, will you tell the Home Secretary that you're recommending alcohol and tobacco be put in the Misuse of Drugs Act? And both of them said no. So I took them both to court. And the end result of that is the, uh, the courts in the United Kingdom banned me from mentioning the words alcohol or tobacco in a courtroom. <laughs> can without special petition, uh, permission of a particular judge.
2: That's like, uh I guess that's like a, a legal cheat code to gag you. Um That
0: was exactly what that was.
2: Yeah, and David Nutt's an interesting guy. He got canned, and that's what they like call it in Britain. When, when you get fired, you, you get canned for saying, like in an offhand comment, that riding horses is more dangerous than using MDMA.
0: That was not offhand wow. I call that canning the nut sack fiasco, and that's actually in the documents, part of my case, nut sack fiasco. That's called uh, equacy addiction syndrome paper that he published, I believe, in the Lancet or equine addiction syndrome. He called the disease or whatever it was the habit or the the compulsion equacy. And Theresa May, the Home Secretary, sacked him at that moment. Uh, and that became the Nutsack fiasco in 2009, I believe it was. And that became where I got banned from saying alcohol, mentioning the words alcohol, tobacco in the courtroom. I was actually finally able to sit down next to David Nutt at, uh, the 2017 psychedelic science conference. And I sat down next to me, He looked over at me and he's like, he recognized me immediately. He's like, I thought you were never going to get out. <laughs> we had a, we went out to dinner. We went on the cruise together. We had a great night. Point being is I practiced, so I was sitting on my bunk and I read that section, which is uh, uh, section one zero one one of the uh, Controlled Substances Act of the State of Wyoming, and one zero one one a gives the nine point criteria for harm, you know how to assess harm, and then section one zero one one b states that you know if it's found to have a potential for misuse after the consideration of that nine point criteria, there shall be a rule issuing it, uh, controlling it. And then 1011E, 1011E, had that ex- explicit exclusion of, uh, you know, wine, malt beverages, spirits, and tobacco, which is basically saying alcohol and tobacco excluded. And so when I saw that, the light bulb went off, and I knew I had an argument. I knew I could take the entire argument that I had created in the United Kingdom and I worked years on and apply it here in the Wyoming jurisdiction and in the federal jurisdiction because it has actually the same uh, – in Section 802, Subsection 6, it has the exact same exclusion – the only difference between the Wyoming Controlled Substances Act and the Federal Controlled Substances Act is where they define what controlled substances are. In the, the federal system, they define controlled substances, and it's there that they exclude alcohol and tobacco. They claim that those are not controlled substances, even though they're regulated, and thus are you know substances that are controlled by law to, with regards to possession, supply, production, uh, import, export. Something else really pertinent to the argument is that there can be no illegal drugs. That's, that's a complete misnomer. It's a sleight of hand that, that distracts people from what's actually being controlled, and that's us. What's being controlled is humans. It might be called the Controlled Humans Act with respect to drugs. We're being controlled with respect to property. and Any concept that says that it's the drugs that are being controlled, it's just the drugs won't behave, so they control humans, so they regulate Actions, human actions, possession, supply, import, export, production, manufacture.
2: Interestingly though, use, use is not in there, right? Like, like there's no...
0: It is in the uh, Wyoming Control Substances Act.
2: Okay, but like at, at the federal level, right? Like it doesn't say use anywhere. So like it's so crazy to me that like obviously possession is illegal and in order to use something, you need to possess it. But they specifically, I think, intentionally don't have the word use in there because of, like, liberty and bodily autonomy and things that at the founding of this country truly did matter.
3: That's changed over, over time. I mean, they used, to, they used to check people for track marks, and, and that was grounds for being arrested. Yeah, um, and,
0: and also, if you possess it in your urine, it's definitely in your body and you're in possession of it. And some, some jurisdictions actually have convicted and control people around that. Here in Wyoming, it's quite interesting when they created the when they created prohibition within the state of Wyoming, which led just a little bit on the federal system. uh, They didn't criminalize use of alcohol that was already in possession at the time that they declared uh, manufacture and supply of it was uh, unlawful. And so it's very interesting that now people can be convicted if they are found to be using or under the influence of, of controlled substances in the state of Wyoming
3: even if they're otherwise causing no harm. just That's correct. Isn't that amazing? Sounds like Robert DuPont's uh, land of opportunity. It's, he's been trying to push a bill that would, you know, make urinalysis, you know, drugs in your urine. Uh, I mean, that was, you know, going back a couple of years, I wrote about it, you know, to make, you know, your urine uh, a... Um, open to an analysis and then prosecution
2: and then wasn't he connected to a bunch of drug testing companies chris i remember yeah. that that piece
3: <laughs> and that's the best part the conflicts conflict. of interest yeah
0: so this is the thing it's like so in 1970 and 71 when they're making the control substances act of course the alcohol and tobacco lobby were heavily in the halls of the legislatures and were influencing were uh, donation monies were i, mean, I they were all over the place and they were hiding the fact that they knew that uh, that tobacco in particular was a dangerous substance with regards to cancer deaths. And that lobbying money was heavy there. And then you have the, the then you have the issue of what I call uh, uh, drug familiarity because uh, the politicians that were making the rules were familiar with the effects of alcohol, but they were terrified of the effects of uh, the other drugs that they were unfamiliar with. And so they didn't want to criminalize their own behavior consumption of tobacco and alcohol, their own addictions. They, they, they were content with the rule applying to others, but not to themselves, which is quite interesting. There's this paragraph that I think it's very much worth reading at this moment. Um, it's a, It comes out of Railway Express Agency versus New York, and uh, I believe it's Justice Jackson who uh, delivers this particular paragraph, and it says something to the effect of this. In 1949, cities... States and the federal government must exercise their powers so as not to discriminate between their inhabitants, except on some reasonable differentiation fairly related to the object of regulation. This equality is not merely abstract justice. The framers of the Constitution knew, and we should not forget today, that there is no more effective practical guarantee against arbitrary and unreasonable government than to require that the principles of law which officials would impose upon a minority must be imposed generally. Conversely, nothing opens the door for the door to arbitrary action so effectively as to allow those officials to pick and choose only a few to whom they will apply the legislation and thus to escape the political retribution that might be visited upon them if larger numbers were affected. Courts can take no better measure to assure that laws will be just than to require that laws be equal in operation. That encapsulates the entire argument in a single paragraph. They have excluded themselves from the operation of the law. So to avoid the retribution that might be uh, imposed upon them, should they try to criminalize the possession and use and production of uh, alcohol and tobacco. Uh,
1: That's really uh, succinct. You know, I like this cognitive liberty challenge to the war on drugs because it refutes many of the core tenets that these laws exist to protect public health or prevent mental illness. And we know that's bullshit. The war on drugs was started for clearly racist reasons, That's not politically correctness or some liberal SJW, whatever. It's just a fact. The war on drugs is racist. But, you know, this is a thing you hear a lot in psychedelic circles, uh, that these drugs are like psilocybin and LSD have been outlawed because if too many people in society took them, it would lead to everybody bucking the system. But what kind of evidence is there for this claim? You know, I, I wonder about this a lot. If enough people took psychedelics, would it really change society all that much? I mean... Silicon Valley likes taking hallucinogens and microdosing. Plenty of alt-right weirdos like this self-described QAnon shaman who are into taking psychedelics. And Matthew Johnson at Johns Hopkins recently argued in Scientific American, uh, last November that there's no good evidence that psychedelics can change your politics or religion. What's your take on this?
0: My take is pretty simple. Uh, if we go back to that original index of forbidden thought catalysts, which was the index index librorum prohibitorum of the Catholic Church, which led to the birth of copyright, the concept that there were forbidden thought catalysts known as books, because if you took that, those texts into your body and changed your thoughts, you could become a heretic against the Church and destroy the Church's authority. So there is a very deep and long precedent for uh, attempting to restrict the thinking of and what's available, the potential information, the potential mind states that are available to humans such that they don't buck the system. If you think about it, the, you know, the guillotine was a really good way of killing people. Uh, and lopping someone's head off is a really great way of saying we don't like your ideas. Um, and so it, that goes uh, very, very deep. I'm going to read a paragraph right now uh, from my own uh, court filings. Uh, The defendant, myself, Casey William Hardison, I assert that I have a fundamental liberty interest in freedom of thought, which must mean, at minimum, my decisional autonomy to direct and control my own consciousness, in particular, my right to experience and engage in diverse mind states occasioned by the ingestion of psychoactive plants or substances. This fundamental liberty interest... Protected by the First and Ninth Amendments of the United States Constitution, each on their own and through the Fourteenth Amendment's substantive due process command to the state, is a most basic and intimate exercise of self sovereignty. That the Act, the Control Substances Act of the federal and state jurisdictions, arbitrarily preserve this liberty for some and unequally deny it to others is the ultimate issue. As far as Q Shaman, what a Q Tard! The, uh, I, yes, I am exceptionally disappointed that the psychedelics have uh, amplified his xenophobic, racist, special uh, viewpoints. You know, the idea that uh, psychedelics are non-specific amplifiers of consciousness uh, has been around for a long time. And that there is no guarantee that when one has a unity type experience, that one is actually going to become a steward of Mother Earth and all her relations. I truly wish that were so. And I certainly at the beginning of my psychedelic journeys believed that was exactly what was going to happen for everyone who uh, imbibed LSD or psilocybin or mescaline. They were going to wake up to discover that they're the eyes of the world and steward Mother Earth and all her relations. Um, and I wish it were so. And Q Shaman has illustrated what an absolute mistaken assumption that is. I um, love the nod to the Grateful Dead there. It was a, appreciate that.
3: Thank, thank you very
0: much. The, uh, I, MD, I felt the I, same I, way.
3: I, I just felt the same way. I, I, at nineteen, twenty, you know, experimenting with these drugs, I thought that it, it should be a college course. Like everyone should be mandated to take at least one trip, you know, before they get through college.
0: I want to say something about Q Shaman himself. If he ever gets a chance to listen to this podcast, and anybody else who ever gets a chance to communicate with him about me, I think he's an asshole. I want him to know that Casey William Hardison, who's been fighting for cognitive liberty and psychedelics for his, for, since the moment he took LSD, uh, uh has an issue. My issue, I have a real upset, an unfulfilled expectation, a forwarded intention, a missed communication. And I want a chance to communicate with that asshole. Cause if he's going to claim to speak for Mother Earth, he just fucked up. He really pissed me off. And I want a chance to let him know that this guy, he may have watched my videos. He may have heard me speak before, but I want him to know that I do not respect his position. Uh, that idea of storming the capital of the United States of America, because you have an upset and a grievance. That is not how we handle upsets and grievances in one nation under law with the rule of law, where we have a written constitution where the very reason we have uh, a right to vote is to stop violence on planet earth.
1: Right. But I think, you know, so he's like, you know, advocated psychedelics and everything. And I think that that there's this argument that if you take psychedelics, it's going to turn you into a liberal hippie. But that's obviously not the case for everyone. I know, you know, friends and relatives that have taken psychedelics and it really hasn't made them more compassionate or less uh, xenophobic. So I don't know. Like, I wonder... I think that you have to do the work. Maybe that's something that you have to like not just take the drug and then magically you're going to be a more compassionate or liberal-leaning person. You have to actually do the
0: work. This is what typically meant by set and setting, right? If you have the... Uh, if you don't have the mindset to integrate or a community around you that understands that if we don't take care of planet earth, we're not taking care of ourselves. If you don't have that mindset, then you're not going to integrate along that path to bring Andrew. I'm going to bring Andrew Sewell in here. Who's now dead. He wrote an article. So you want to be a psychedelic researcher. And he's like, well, you really want to examine your motives because if it is, is it for your ego or is it, for the transformation that is possible in the mind states that are engendered by these molecules, the important, very, very important, is that we integrate our insights and we turn, we turn them into actions. We transform them into actions that make a difference for humanity. And I'm not in this for any other reason. I want a world where we don't kill the children anymore.
3: I'd like to clarify, though, that you you do support uh, Q Shaman's right. You're you're that's not oh wholeheartedly rights, wholeheartedly. Right? No, i do not. Yeah, I'm not yeah. arguing with his
0: right to use psychedelics. I'm I'm. Uh, what I would like to argue with is, uh, and if I get a chance to argue with him, uh, reason with him uh, why he thinks uh, that entitles him to vandalize and attempt to harm others or to uh, storm our nation's capital as a way of getting his voice
2: heard. I think that brings in the aspect of community and collective action like you can do a DMT trip by yourself and that's just one experience for you in your own private world and that the movements of the past were actually powerful is because people were together and there's a community in, involved in that and it can cut the other way, where if you're in a community that thinks the Democrats are run by a cabal of pedophiles, and that Donald Trump is supposed to be president, but that the election was stolen, well, then your social reality and the community you're in compels you to respond and do something about it. And so it's like, I think a lot of the uh, kind of psychedelic uh, discourse, especially coming out of places like Silicon Valley, it's, it's hyper individualized and it's about, you know, productivity and standing desks and all this bullshit that that like will just make you better at coding or something. And again, that, that's like a very solitary private use. Whereas what you're talking about is
0: collective action. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm talking about peaceful collection, collective action. Uh, I subscribe to Ahimsa, the nonviolence of uh, Mahatma Gandhi and the nonviolence of Martin Luther King Jr., Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. The concept that we would smash our way into uh, uh, what is the citadel citadel of liberty in the Western world, allegedly, sure, there are things that need to be worked out. I want to see uh, deep ethics in politics. I want to see free and fair uh, elections that are auditable. Uh, blockchain analyzable. Uh, I want to see free, uh, and fair auditability of all government disbursement of money. I would love to see all sorts of things that would correct some of that corruption. But, uh, for someone to claim and convince, uh, a group of followers, uh, not just the Q-tards, but the, uh, followers of, of, of the trumpet, that the election was stolen from them, and they are not going to do their own due diligence and actually investigate, use their mental faculties to actually find out rather than just believe someone else. I thought the whole idea was to take psychedelics and question authority, not take psychedelics and join a herd.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious what your thoughts are on, you know, psychedelics now being a billion-dollar industry on the stock market and everything. You know, there's all these companies popping up. They're all investing in this research that, you know, it's going to hit the mainstream here in a couple of years pretty soon. There's already literally billions of dollars being put into this space. Uh, What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I have one thought, which is I think more psychedelics are still going to help and that, like just about anything – uh, the media and the corporations are going to find a way to co-opt anything that has a uh, true power. They tried many, many years ago, uh, thousands of years ago with Rome uh, and Greece and Athens to co-opt the psychedelic world. And it went underground and disappeared for quite some time and re-emerged uh, in the Western societies. Um, the It brings to mind Hawking Bay's temporary exon- autonomous zones uh, and his uh, concept of In the Journal of Cognitive Liberties, uh, Volume One, Number One, 1999/2000, he wrote an article called "Against Legalization" for the fear that uh, it would be co-opted by big corporations. That's why the cognitive liberty argument is really important. Because imagine for those uh, those people that are uh, productive for capital capitalism, and the corporations start mandating you must take these drugs while you're coding. Uh, so, the cognitive argument is a freedom from and a freedom to argument. Freedom to transform my mental function as I see fit, and a freedom from anyone else ordering or mandating. And so, uh, the idea that uh, big business is co opting it, uh, it is natural that anything that is going to be able to make money, that people are going to attempt to squeeze in on the market and uh, capitalize on it. Um, that is the way parasitic capitalism works. It's natural.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point about the cognitive liberty thing being also a thing you can opt out of. You shouldn't be
0: forced to take a drug.
1: It, it, it does come down to consent and how important that
0: is. And Look at the way we're drugging our children's. children. Uh, David Lenson in his book On Drugs said, uh, the difference between ecstasy and Prozac is mostly a matter of marketing. And that we're forcing children... In classrooms, in uh, mandated educational scenarios, uh, state-mandated educational scenarios, forcing them to take a drug in order to attend that state-mandated classroom, uh, we are violating the sovereignty of those individuals. And we're telling them, uh, "Don't be addicted to drugs, but take these." Don't. It's like this. I feel the same way about methadone, which is like, "Here, don't take heroin." Which we could prescribe for pennies and you know make available at you know Walgreens or CVS or Boots if you are in the United Kingdom. Don't take heroin, which is safe and has been safe for we've known it's really safe. Uh, we can make clean quality pure heroin. We don't want you to take that. We want you to take our drug, which is methadone, which is ridiculous because now you are not getting the euphoria that you desire, and all you are doing is maintaining and transferring your habituation onto another drug that you don't actually want. People can function perfectly fine on heroin. People can actually conduct their lives if they don't out, if they can buy it at the the corner market or buy it with a, you know, get their own prescription for it. They would function fine on heroin and enjoy their lives the way they're doing Um, and not cause the acquisitive crime harm. uh, The, you know, there's, I mean, there's just, there's another thing that really irks me about the war on some people who use some drugs is that it becomes blackmail. Oh, you use drugs? I'm telling. And then you start having control over people, manipulative control over others because of their choice to alter the.
3: That's particularly when it comes to parenthood, um, yeah, the, the rights of parenthood rights, um, you know, exclusive of any manageability issues, uh, you know, just drug use in and of itself can be a reason to lose your children. And that's like the foundation of, of American family values would say that's, you know, counter to our to our belief system as a, as a nation that, that, that the roots of society begin at the family level. And, um, uh, but I'd like to step back, you, you know, we've heard a lot about your your time in the UK and, and I'm not familiar with your story. Um, I know Troy and, and maybe Zach are a little bit more. Can you just for our listeners, give us a little background on, um, what, what, where you got into this, um, you know, this issue and, and took it to the level you did and what, what, what started in the UK?
0: I, I could do this in 1990. I'm going to try to, do seems as possible. In 1993, I took LSD for my first time. Uh, a friend of mine who I'd been sober with in alcoholics anonymous uh, came up to visit me in Idaho and he said, Oh, Hey, by the way, I've got some of this. And we were watching uh, Stephen Hawking's brief history of time. And I was reading this Michael Wilkes ultimate alphabet book. And I was tripped out of my mind. I'm like, Oh, let's go outside. And I went outside and I buried myself in the pea gravel and I disappeared. And I suddenly wasn't I, anymore, the no-self-no-problem thing that showed up for its first time in my life. And then I heard this bell ring across the lake, and I was like, what is that about? And um, I walked over there over the course of the next few hours. I st- got my way all the way over there, and I realized it was the science building. I'm like, it's time to go to school and study this. And so I did that. And I studied for uh, many years until, the, until the, the federal funding ran out. Uh, and then I was offered a laboratory by Daryl Lemaire. To Sasha Shogun's and I got involved in it and then I was flying around the world going to all these conferences on psychedelics and, and theogenic and, and theobotany uh, and, 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 and theogen means something that has you realize the divine within and having realized the divine within me uh, the god that I am I was out uh, gallivanting around the world at play in the fields of the lords and I decided to attend an Ibogaine conference in England um, uh, Ibogaine is an African as a substance uh, extracted from an African rainforest shrub called iboga uh, which is used in heroin cessation addiction. And I met a lady who was actually doing that work. We became a, a, a partnership and a, a friend of ours offered an opportunity for me to set up a lab in England in which I was to do Ibogaine work and create Ibogaine and also uh, create TCB, uh, LSD, DMT. Actually, once I had the lab up, it, you know, the, the, the original agreement had nothing to do with all the other shit I did. Um, but I just started making things that I was interested in. Uh, and eventually I got arrested there, and when I got arrested, I knew that the only way to defend myself was to defend myself on the fun- fundamental basis of what it means to be truly free and uh, my right to alter mental functioning as I see fit, and also within the equal treatment, equal protection arguments, uh, if alcohol and tobacco users can alter their mental functioning as they see fit, and there's a long-standing historical tradition and tolerance of that, why can't I, with these other molecules provided i'm not doing any harm to others and that was my argument and that's still my argument today and i stick to it and i always keep proselytizing for that argument i want the right i want the freedom i want the freedom because i have had some of the finest experiences of being human on planet earth under the influence of psychoactive.
2: so you did you did nine years right for that
0: 9.27 years i was actually uh Uh, given 86 years, for uh, three counts of manufacture of LSD, TCB, and DMT, which they ran concurrently uh, with some other charges that were related to drugs. They ran my sentences concurrent. I was given a 20-year sentence, and when I was originally sentenced, I was going to do two-thirds of that sentence, uh, eligible to apply for parole at halftime. But in the middle of my sentence in 2008, with the firing of another Home Secretary over the immigration issue, they created an act which said that if my If your offense wasn't on a particular schedule, then you were eligible for parole at halftime automatically. Then they gave me a nine-month foreign national discount for uh, not resisting deportation. So that turned into the 9.25 years. But then I got uh, two weeks of extra sentencing for the two cell phones that I had been uh, caught with over the eight years. And um, so I could stay in contact with the world and write books, write articles. And so it worked out to be 9.27 years, 3,383 days for the manufacturer of forbidden thought catalysts. At least I wasn't burned at the stake, and my head wasn't cut off, and I'm still here to talk about it. And I was able to do like a business degree, a certificate in mathematics, uh, study law for seven years. They wouldn't let me do a law degree at all.
1: You were also getting high in prison, if I remember correctly, from Hamilton Morris's episode on you.
0: Yes, I most certainly was. Um, I most certainly was, um, I had a great time.
1: What was enjoyable about that? It seems like tripping in prison would, you know, be really uncomfortable in my, my guess.
0: There's this interesting thing that happens, right? When the door bangs up in the evening, it's not opening for like almost 16 hours. What are you going to do? You got to entertain yourself somehow. Right. And, and it's also, uh, there's this, you know, it's like, I'm in prison for manufactured substance that I'm now under the influence of in prison. It's got its—I uh, don't know—it's the Ouroboros snake eating its own tail. It's just hilarious. It's fun. Uh, I was very exalted. Some of my—you uh, know—I've been meditating for years in prison as well, so that went along with it, and I was able to uh, achieve uh, states of samadhi, that—you uh, know—exalted consciousness uh, in a prison cell. Where now I know there's nowhere I can go on earth that I am not the owner of my own mental weather, that I am not the generator of my own happiness that I'm not entirely responsible for my own attitude and the way I communicate and language my world into existence.
3: Um, As as both a chemist and a cognitive libertarian, can you comment on sort of the evolving nature of synthetic cannabinoids that keep changing and changing and changing and um, some of the potential harms that they could be affecting and uh, untested on people and, uh, and, and obviously you would support anyone's used to to use them and experiment with them um but ever however having seen some of the effects they have um there are some sincere and genuine genuine concerns i think that, that people express about particularly the synthetic synthetic cannabinoids
0: yes i uh i'm a psychonaut so i i respect anyone's right to alter their mental function as they see fit part of they don't do harm to others and i I think the real problem is, is that we have a very large subset of drugs, uh, several dozen of them, that will alter our mental function in a sufficient fashion that are relatively safe in respect to the benefits that they provide. So with benefit maximization and the relatively safeness, there's a several dozen of them that I think we should all be allowed to use uh, regardless. And that if we keep criminalizing or adding, not criminalizing, if we keep adding these substances that are discovered and found to the Controlled Substances Act, uh, without actually doing research on them and development on them and safety testing and efficacy, what we're doing is we're actually pushing people farther and farther into the realms of potential harm. We're not actually uh, caring for our children by doing such things. We think we're doing a good job as a society by scheduling this drug to prevent harm from to, to others, but the idea is that people want to alter their mental functioning, and they are going to keep pushing the limits of chemistry and the law so that they can do it lawfully. And if we want that to stop, we want to transform the law with regards to uh, a magic dozen or two dozen, uh, common psychoactives will be available to have, you know, reasonable regulation so that people can use these things in a, uh, informed and consenting fashion.
2: So we're, we're almost at, at the hour and I've got kind of one last question and, um, it probably also can be like a whole other episode and we'll probably do a whole other episode about it. And I'm reminded of, of Carl Hart's new book recently out called Drug Use for Grownups. And, and his sort of conceit there is like that we do not have the cultural context or representation or notions of responsible adult drug use and that, we have all these ideas of drugs as, as, as harmful, as addictive, as people who take them being, being weak or chaotic or scary or violent. And maybe, and you know, it, it's a hard question to ask, but do you think that culture is changing a little bit now that media is so fragmented and we have access to so much more information than we ever have? Do you think people are seeing more and more? the possibility that adult drug use is it, it can be done responsibly. Look
0: at the cannabis industry now. Uh, as a new drug, quote-unquote, this ancient drug coming back onto the scene uh, in a fashion that over half of the United States of America has used, uh, it can be used responsibly. It can be used uh, irresponsibly. Uh, we are beginning to... Create a context, and we've been creating it uh, for uh, you know several hundred. Matter of fact, I'm going to take it all the way back to the pharmakon, uh, Plato, and the Phaedrus dialogues, argues about the pharmakon uh, remedies, poisons, or magical substances, and it's all in the eyes of the beholder, or in the eyes of the interpreter, whether a substance or even a thought or a meme is a remedy, a poison, or a magical substance, uh, and that conversation about creating. Uh, responsible use has been around since the drunken debauchery of the days of Plato writing about the pharmacon. And we, uh, and that drunken debauchery was, you know, alcohol with shit tons of that were different herbs in it. Um, all different experiments. They were experimenting as much as they possibly could because that's what curious humans do. Uh, we're curious humans. We have the potential of developing a respectful, responsible, harm, minimization, benefit, maximization approach to the use of psychoactives. And I wish we'd uh, get on it in a very large public fashion. Um, I think we should you know, roll out our new drug every month. I'm like, okay, this month, people, we're going to be taking this drug. And this is the conversation we're going to have about it. We're going to curate a conversation set in setting about responsible drug use, benefit, maximization, harm, minimization, harm reduction.
1: Well, sign me up for the drug of the month box. I would love that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> me too. Gen- gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. I now have to go yeah. to another appointment. Thank you so
2: much for coming on.
1: Anything you want to promote before you leave, people can follow you on Twitter at As Thou Wilt. you wilt.
0: As thou wilt. Do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And I hope that includes being kind and nice to your neighbors, recognizing that we are one people, that we each have more that... Connect us and bring us together, and more than then will tear us apart. So do as thou wilt, and may that be peaceful.
2: Amen. Thanks for
1: coming on the show. show. Really appreciate it, Casey. Hope to talk to you
0: soon. Yeah. Take care of us. Be well.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to Narcotica. An independent production by Christopher Morath, Zachary Siegel, and Troy Farah. I'm your co-producer, Garrett Farah. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon. We are ad-free, and we would like to stay that way. But if Patreon isn't for you, that's fine. You can still help us by spreading the word. Tell all your friends about the podcast advocating for legal heroin. Our theme music is by Glassboy. Additional music is by Checky Brown. Check those guys out. They're freaking weird. And Jenny Shea is the voice of Narcotica. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebloss, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Be sure to have a very nice night.